Welcome to First Time Through. New Eyes on Castle Rock. With Kim Payne. And Otto Mullins. You're on the right microphone. Yes, I am. I made sure this time. I double-checked that, too, after you said that. I was like, oh, my God, that would be terrible. <laughs> All right. Yep. So um, welcome back, everyone. My name is Otto Mullins. And I'm Kim Payne. And this is First Time Through. And this is our first time through The Body, the fall short story of different seasons by our the man, the myth, the legend himself, Steve, Stephen King. Um, if you... Did not expect us to read a Stephen King short story or novel at this point. I don't know why. I'm it's been very clear that that's sure what we're doing. Not sure if you're doing. in the right place, if that's didn't what you expected. We've been very honest with what our content's going to be. Um, <laughs> but thank you for tuning in anyways. So if you haven't read The Body yet, uh, or before in any way, uh, I think the most important thing to know about it is it is the short story that Stand By Me... The movie with Will Wheaton and other people. Uh, Will Wheaton and other people. Who else is in that movie? Will Will Wheaton, River Phoenix, River Phoenix Chris um, O'Donnell, and uh, Corey Feldman. Man, yeah, you had it just like. Do you have it? Stand by me. IMDb pulled up, or is that just like? I do not. <laughs> okay, just make. Just wanted to check in. Oh, they did a remake of Stand by Me. What? Oh, never no. mind. No, 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 okay. no, 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 no. It's a <laughs> Korean and short it, film with the same fil- name. And it was directed by Rob Reiner. And I knew that part. Rob Reiner, also known, um, if you guys haven't, if you've ever seen New, uh, New Girl, he is Jessica Day's father. As uh, the, It's funny, it's just like one of the ways that I knew him best before I found out like all of the things he directed. Because he's a genius. Yeah, he's incredible. <laughs> Um, but anyways, uh, that, that is this short story. So, um, I, I, um, I guarantee you I can do the breakdown in, in 45 seconds. Are you ready? <laughs> Hang on. Let me get the timer. Oh, okay. Okay. And go. Four kids are hanging out. Their names are Gordy, Chris, and then the other two just are kind of there. They don't matter that much. It's Gordy and Chris. Those are the ones that matter. And they all decide. They're hanging on their treehouse, and they're like, man, guys, my brother just found out that there's a dead body out in the woods. Let's go find it. And so they go, and they set out to find a dead body. They decide to walk along the trail, the train tracks. As they're walking along the train tracks, they go through the dump, and they get attacked by a dog. They go swimming in a pond, and they get attacked by some leeches. And then they get attacked by their older brothers, all collectively. Almost like all of their older brothers got together, and they're like, let's go, guys. And it's just interesting how everybody's brothers and everybody's younger siblings all are friends and i think that that was something that i also saw in my hometown i'm sure it's probably the same from where you're from kim yeah 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 so it was just interesting to see like you know these like generational families like attacking each other and their gangs uh and then nothing happens at all and then they go home and then he gets beaten up once and then it's a very morbid sad morose very realistic ending and that's well, uh, t- that's stand by, and that's the body. 
it took you a minute seven, but yeah, absolutely. That's Dang, that a is minute it seven, in a minute show. Twenty two seconds off. But I also <laughs> I was on that little tangent about high, or about like generational families. But I think that like this is the one of the most straightforward and easy stories that we've read so far. It it really is. Um and I think it resonates differently with me than it you know, cause you've already said that it, it wasn't, it's, it's very different and it resonates with me. I actually really enjoy this story because I read it the first time when I was 13. So. Yeah. I feel like if you read it when you were 13, it's probably pretty great. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to lie. This is probably the worst thing we've read so far. I liked I, revival more than this. <laughs> I mean, and like, and that's, that's a, saying a lot. Yeah, dude. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, this is good, and I see why people like it. And there's a couple of really good moments that I have marked where, you know, he talks about the wounds of love and love bites and, you know, like these small little things. But that's not because of this story. That's just because of how good a writing Stephen King is. This story doesn't lend itself to create these good moments, but it does. Stephen King just creates good moments because he's good at writing. Well, and I don't think that it's supposed to... It's not a feel-good story. I mean, it's it's the fall story, and it specifically says it's the fall from innocence. It's not supposed to make you feel good. It's oh. supposed, supposed to make you feel a little... Eh. Do you know what I'm saying? No, and that makes... I, I hear you there. I really do. I agree with you, in fact, like like... Thematically, you know, we've seen these stories kind of, you know, the first one's very helpful and, you know, it's about Mm -hmm. older people that have probably, when they were younger, been in these types of situations where they, you know, stole their father's gun and they went off on an adventure where no one really cared or knew where they were and they ended up in those positions. And then we kind of, like, we've been watching it regress, like, you know, like, oh, like, this is where they end up at in Shawshank, but here's where they could have been from. Right, right. Well, and that's kind of the whole theme of this overall book is, you know, hope springs eternal, and then the summer of corruption, and then the fall from innocence. So, you know, thematically, that's what's happening in this book, in the the overarching story. So with this story, it, it's... supposed to make you think about you know that moment when you go from being a little kid to being a young adult and then just to recover the uh what we're talking about the book that we're reading right now is called different steven different stevens this is (laughs) this book is called different steasons steasons man i can't even get the second joke right uh it's called different seasons by stephen king and it's four novellas split up based on a season of the year so spring summer fall and winter um we are in fall of innocence the first one was called Hope Springs Eternal, and the second is Summer of Corruption. The last one uh, is what seems to be the most least known of the stories, um, is called A Winter's Tale. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't seem as thematically connected when we get into it, but uh, I digress. We'll get there when we get there. Right. Um, the body, though. Um, 
I do think what's fun. Uh, Stephen King, uh, I don't know if you'd read about this at all. Did you know that he got accused of plagiarism for this story? No. Yeah. How did I miss that? He got accused of plagiarism for this story by Stephen McCloud or George McCloud. Um, <laughs> Foreshadowing. Um, well, and this is also from, uh, I, I just to like throw this route there out there, 100%. This is from like an unauthorized biography by someone named Lisa Rogak that I found online. Um, and essentially he just says that he told Stephen King a short story like this and then King made it the body. And he's like, I want some of those royalties. And he's like, no, like, that's not going to happen. Like, I wrote this, like, this is my thing. And then they aren't friends anymore. And that's like, since then, since like whenever, whenever, that's why Stephen King doesn't read uh, fan requests to like read their manuscripts or like review their things is because he doesn't want to get like accused of plagiarism anymore, like ever again. I thought that was really interesting when I was reading about that, that is, earlier. That is really interesting. The reason that I bring really that up, though, is because the um, dedication is for George McLeod. Hmm. So it's interesting that this guy got this entire short story dedicated to him and then also is accusing Stephen King of plagiarizing him. Wow. Um, so... The body opens up um, a couple of interesting like things as you read it that you notice. Uh, first one is it's break, broke up into chapters similar to when we've been reading through everything else in this. So, you know, it's got a couple of paragraphs or like uh, it, it really, it's very segmented. It's mm -hmm. it's these short stories were written to be turned into movies. Like I really like do not see any other way about it. And... I agree with that 100%. The, yeah. the, the four stories in this book were absolutely written. And it may not have been intentional at first, but the way that they have been ultimately published, they are the perfect screenplay. Absolutely. And uh, so you're reading through this. And the main character from it's a, the, a first person point of view, which is fun because, you know, it's the first time that we've done that in this. Well, not really. We did. Uh, the first one was in first person point of view, wasn't it? Shawshank was. Yes. No, it wasn't. No, no. Shawshank was not. This is the first one that's a first person point of view because okay. we're going to we're going to get this story from Gordy's perspective. Well, I guess Shawshank was pretty much a first person point of view because it was from Red's perspective. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It's yeah. it's weird because anyway. then there's moments where it's not. But anyways, right. um, this one is all first person perspective from Gordy Lachance. However, it is not twelve year old Gordy Lachance. It is twenty nine year old, no thirty two year old Gordy mm -hmm. Lachance writing back on his time when he was twelve. Which is a thing that King likes to do. Yeah, he. We well, run I mean, across that a lot. Literally, we're just reading about it in the revival. Like, that's how uh -huh. the entirety of the revival is presented. Mm -hmm. um, that's how all of Misery is presented. Uh, oh, no, I guess not as much. Misery is presented as, like, this is happening to me right now. Please help. 
Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that kind of frame story that we put of Gordy writing back on a time that he's reminiscent for, um, it, it sets the tone and it lets you know that, you know, this is this story for him as a person is formulative and it's important and it's been long lasting. You know, I remember like three things from when I was 12. And it's definitely that one time I played video games for 12 days straight. And I long for that. I long for those days. And so I understand longing for like the days of like when things were really simple and you could just go back and disappear into the woods for two days and your parents wouldn't ask about you. Right. Um, Which would never happen in this day good, and age. Good God, this story can never happen nowadays. No, like, not, first not even off, a little bit. There's no pieces of land that are this undeveloped anymore. Like, sadly. Well, and, you know, one of the things that makes the story work is the fact that not everybody's family has telephones. Right. So like we start in off. Their home. And just uh, to get to that point, right, we start off, the four kids are hanging out in the clubhouse, and Teddy, uh, not Teddy, Vern. Vern. Shows up and he's like, guys, I just heard overheard my brother. He found a dead body in the woods. We got to go see it. And they all are like, yeah, let's go see it. Um, and so they make this plan, you know, okay, we're going to go and we're going to say we're sleeping out at your house. We're going to pitch a tent in your backyard and we're all going to tell all of our parents that we're sleeping there. They pitch that tent in the backyard and then they put a flashlight in there. And so that way it looks like they're going to be there in the tent overnight. Right. And that's it. Two of the kids, they make a big point. Steve mentions, he's like, hey, just don't forget. Like, two of these kids, their parents don't even have phones. Right. They can't even call and check in on this. They just have to, like, take their kid's word for it. And, and the third kid that whose parents do have a phone are really absent because that's, mm-hmm. you know, Gordy's parents because, you know, he was, his brother died. And so his parents have been real disconnected and absent from his life so they probably don't even care you know yep he said he's doing this it'll be fine he'll be fine it'll all be great yeah exactly and right around this time is when we start to get all of this backstory about these characters too Mm -hmm. so our four main boys we got gordy lachance we have uh vern tessio we have chris oh what's his last name chris something We'll find it right now, and I'll edit all of this out so we sound super smart. Chambers? Chris Chambers, and then Teddy Duchamp. Um, Teddy and Vern are kind of just there to fill it out, in my opinion. Uh, They start off as kind of being a a little bit more of a one-dimensional character, a little bit more of a dimensional character, three-dimensional character, in fact. But by the middle of the book, they kind of... uh, they kind of peter out and don't matter all that much. You really realize that this is the story of uh, Gordy and Chris. Yeah, and I think that that's part of childhood friends. Some of your childhood friends are just characters in your story. They don't have as much dimension. Yeah. And since we're looking at looking back at this, I think that's why they lose dimension over the course of the story. Anyway, and I think like one thing that's interesting too is you know, uh, you know, Vern or not Vern, Teddy, um, you know, he does 
put some real interesting characteristics into Teddy. Vern is very forgettable. I can't tell you a single thing about Vern except that he's kind of just like he's scared of a lot of things. But Teddy um, wears these real thick glasses and he has hearing aids and he has the dream of being in the Air Force from when he's 12 years old. And so just as like an adult person reading this novel, you're just kind of like, oh, kid, I'm sorry. You can't. You just nope. That's just not how things like that's just not how the Air Force works. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like it sets it off with these very. It has a very morbid tone, right? From a macabre tone. That's the good yes, word for it. Absolutely. It absolutely does. Because, you know, you know, as an adult looking, reading this and as Gordy being adult looking back that. It's all, everybody's dream, all four of them have kind of dreams and plans that end up being a little unrealistic. So they they set up their tent, they're going to camp out, they put up the thing, everybody pitches in the little bit of money that they've got so that they can buy supplies for their trip. The first really adult interaction that we see is when Gordy goes to the store. Oh, okay. Hold on real quick, though, because I wanted to mention before we went into the store, um, Gordy Lachance, he has an older brother, and his older brother, his name is Denny. And Denny was the perfect child. Uh, Like, literally. There was nothing wrong with Denny. There was literally, he was just perfect. He did everything right. Uh, And that's probably not true, but that's how it was presented in the story. Uh, That's how Gordy remembers him. Yeah, that's how 12-year-old Gordy remembers him, because he dies. And so that's why his family is particularly absent. His mother is not, is just couldn't be more physically not there. She is somewhere else entirely at all times. Um, And then Chris's family dynamic is particularly terrible. His uh, father is... very very late stage alcoholic um who's just kind of given up all hope his mother will just disappear for days when she he goes on benders he has an older brother who's 15 and he has three younger uh siblings who are like nine four and two and they'll just kind of all be abandoned to you know survive on their own while their families uh figure their well, life dad out. is well drunk. dad is raging drunk and mom is just gone yeah. and and dad is also you know not just a raging alcoholic but he is also abusive yep and you know physically and emotionally and so uh yeah, those so chris, are so chris has a a mark against him he is he's from a bad family and then Vern tessio has a real mean older brother and uh, that's all I remember about Vern Tessio. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, Vern, Vern's family seems, they don't really go into a whole lot of detail, but his family seems pretty typical. His older brother is just a hood and mean. Um, but everything else about his family seems very typical, which is why it was his house that they were camping out at. Yep. Um one more thing I just wanted to talk about before we got going on is just that there's a lot, and I know like when we get into these books that are written in the 80s that I rail on it a lot, so I'm going to just say it all now so that way I don't have to say it all as we get through it. There's a lot of this stuff that's just not okay to say nowadays, 
like that you shouldn't say. Uh, right. And a lot of the way that it, it's not even because it's insults or the things that it's being said. It's just like the casual way that he talks about people. Um, so don't let this be an indicator of how you think you should talk about other people or races or sexualities. Um, and I know that that seems preachy, but definitely make sure that you take into consideration like what the people around you would want to hear because well, I'm sure that they wouldn't want to hear some of these things. Right. And, you know, we also have to think about the fact that this he did write this in the you know late 70s, early 80s. And so he was... It was, it was a product of the time, and um, he has proven that he has grown and, and changed. So I hear you. We all always have like, to. We always have to look at a filter. We have to look at it through the filter of it being a product of its time. See, I disagree, though. I mean, I agree that you should acknowledge that it's a product of its time, but that should not just be. You can't just be forgiven. Like that doesn't automatically just give it like a free pass. Right. No. 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 I'm not saying that. But you, when you read it. It also shouldn't be, uh, you know, canceled because it is insensitive now. No, I I get what you're saying there. Okay. It depends on the sentiment. Because if it is a sentiment that is nothing but... Like, um... um, Oh, man, what's that movie from 1912? Uh, City of a Union? Birth of a Nation. Birth Birth of a a Nation. Nation. That shouldn't... That's not... That's not good. Don't let that be no. allowed anymore. That, no, that no, like no. there's no reason for that. And most of like what Tennessee Williams has written is just literally about keeping people of color down. To right. Most of anything that Tennessee Williams has written, we we shouldn't be performing that anymore. Streetcar Named Desire, Glass Menagerie, all of those things are specifically written in a way to like keep black people down and it's disgusting. Yes. Stephen King is not writing any of these things about Korean people in war or killing people to keep them down. He is just writing that because that's what he was taught and learned. Right. What I was, and so I think that that's the big difference for me. Right, right. um, Writing from a place of ignorance at the time doesn't mean that he still feels that way or I don't even feel like he really felt any kind of way. I think yeah, he was, I don't think so either. I think that he was just, I, I think that he was a product was, of his time. And that's what he heard and learned. And that's those are the things. And as he learned that those things were insensitive, he's like, oh, let's not do that. I think that one thing that I did get from this is that there was definitely a boy in Stephen King's childhood that he had a little bit of a crush on. <laughs> because Gordy Lachance has a little crush on chris and it's adorable absolutely and it's so cute and so it's just like yeah like i get that i definitely had a crush on some kid when i was 12 or 13 that i just didn't even realize it and i was just like i want to hang out with you all of the time Mm -hmm. uh so it's just it's and you know later on he just kind of acknowledges it and he's like maybe it was i don't know that's not the point here (laughs) right uh and i just i liked that aspect of it um we see those kids. Those are the four kids that we're going to meet, um, played by, um, just so you can, like, get this in your head. Uh, Gordy, like, uh, was baby Will Wheaton. Mm-hmm. Chris Chambers was baby River Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Uh, baby uh, Teddy DeChamp was Corey Feldman. And yeah. baby Vern was Jerry O'Connell. Not going to lie. Yeah. I don't really know who Jerry O'Connell is. 
Yeah, he he was in some TV shows, but he didn't he didn't do a whole lot. Oh he snap! He was in Kangaroo Jack. That's a good movie from like 1999 that I remember. But <laughs> that's not the point here. Um, so these four children uh, have their plans set up. They gather up what money that they can. Um, and I think during this time too, uh, I think we can just mention all of them right now. Um, we get the first uh, flash forward of Gordy's writing. Mm-hmm. So we hear that for the first time, like, uh, Gordy Lachance is writing about a criminal named Chico. And then later on, he's writing about a pie-eating contest. And I think that the main point of these stories as you're reading through it is just to show you that whatever 32-year-old Gordy Lachance is writing about, they are things that came from this trip. They are things that came during these formulative years. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, creating this long story of this, uh, you know, I really, uh, you know, and something, too, that we don't really talk about, too, is, like, the way that uh, Stephen King does not seem to, like, like fat people or write nicely about them. Uh, so I do think that that is just a general stands of the 70s and 80s as well mm-hmm. and i think that that is something else that's going to be like built into his writing and when it's institutionalized as the way that it is but uh it is really funny when that guy is eating all the pies and then throws them up everywhere it was a particularly yeah. good story and i think it's really great too to write it from the idea that like a 12 year old was just like oh man he's this character is so conflicted he doesn't know what this- to do Right, I'm gonna, t- but then I'm gonna tell you this gross-out story. Yeah. Um, so we get these different stories throughout the entirety of this main story, and all of these little short stories inside of this novella. God, this is complicated for no reason, Steve. And uh, well, it's complicated for us to like tell it to you. It's not complicated to read at it's, all. It's not complicated unless, to read, but you know it, what? I think what those stories are supposed to do is show you that. Gordy making writing stories is not new. Yeah, I do think too though. Uh, it is very hard to follow in an audiobook format because the first time I I, re- I listened to the first half of this in audiobook as I was driving, mm-hmm. and um, I got to that first story about Chico, and I didn't hear the opening bit where it talks about printed with uh, with permission from this magazine. Oh, right, yeah. And so I just thought it was going into the next part of the story. And I thought it was doing like a Stephen King, like jumping to the next, like to the mm-hmm. main villain to show us what they're doing. And so I thought this Chico guy was the one that killed this Roy kid the whole, like for a good <laughs> half of the story. And then like when I was actually like reading it in the physical copy, I was like looking through it just to like, you know, look at the points that I wanted to talk about. And I was like, Oh, it all makes so much more sense now. Mm-hmm. Um, I do that. I love one of my favorite things about this, and we'll get to it a little bit, is how you just never really like, you're never really like, it's never buttoned up in a bow, like what happened to the kid. It's just kind of no, like, yeah, it's that's not. not. It's always, there's always speculation about yeah, it. Yeah, but there was a, there's a serial killer mentioned early on. Um, and, you know, I think it's interesting. You know, there's people that have been escaped from uh, uh, Shawshank early mm-hmm. on as well there's yeah. a bunch of different ways um so anyways uh now that we have those children sorry to interrupt so deeply kim what is the first adult interaction what happens so so 
I guess we need to back up to um, them flipping coins to see who's going to go to get to the, the store. Yeah, because we got to talk about the Goocher because, you know, they they go on about how that's really bad luck. And so they're, you know, worried that or Vern is Vern is because Vern is very timid and worries and superstitious, maybe, I think is the word I'm looking for. So they flip coins and they get a Goocher, which means all of them hit tails and so they uh, they flip again, and, and Gordy loses. So Gordy is going to go to the store and, and get the supplies that they need, some food for their trip. But he gets to the store to get the stuff, and the, the storekeeper, the, the butcher, whatever, recognizes him. He knows who, he knows his brother. And again, Gordy is faced with having, living in that, his dead brother's shadow you know he lives in his brother's shadow at home and then you know he goes to the store and the the guy keeps going on and on about all of his brother's accomplishments so you know here he is in a random place with a random adult and still in dennis's shadow denny's shadow Mm -hmm. um you know and but i think i like how he goes out of his way to show that he is not his brother you know Mm -hmm. he does the small little things he's like oh i see that your thumbs on the scale and he's kind of he back talks a little bit he's a little bit sassier um i think he's got a lot more uh he's got a lot more pizzazz in him is the best word i can think of to like really uh he's just got a lot more back talk in him than his brother yeah yeah he does you know denny uh in his memory was just um he was the perfect kid he would never disrespect an adult disrespect of anybody so and again that's his perception so i'm sure that he would have yeah this right right he he seems like an actual like denny seems like he would have legitimately been a cool kid um for the most part right um so they have this he gets all of their groceries he ends up getting uh you know i thought this was interesting because to me i was like what are you doing kid he just gets Mm -hmm. three pounds of hamburger and -hmm. he gets some coke and then he heads back to where they're at so where they've ended up setting up is on um you know and they have um a dump in town and there's a dump and then on the other side of this dump is this grocery store so they went. He went to the grocery store alone, and now to get back to the, where his camp is set up, he has to go through the dump. So as he's going through the dump, the first time it was uneventful, it didn't matter. This time, it does matter because as he's going through, the dog and uh, I think his name's like Nico. No, uh, Milo. Milo, thank you, Milo, and his dog uh, Chopper. Oh, Chopper show up. <laughs> And they start uh, shouting at him. And Gordy takes off and he uh, tries to, uh, he gets, climbs up on top of something, right? Or no, no, yeah. no, he's sitting there and he's he's yelling with him. Uh, and uh, he, the guy, Milo, ends up sicking Chopper on him. And so right. as soon as he sicks Chopper on him, he runs off, takes off running and he jumps up the fence and he barely gets over in time. And they end up like, this old, this man is just very lonely 
and he's yelling some very mean things at these child children. Mm-hmm. And these children fire back. <laughs> And they yeah, yell they some do. very mean things to this <laughs> yes, lonely old do. man. <laughs> and uh, and then, uh, you know, it, it's interesting because you just never, they'd say in the story, like, you never hear from this guy again. But then at the end, it says, like, we never heard, saw him again either. So it's right. just like, but how, what did this all, what did the, how, you, oh, just like, wow. It, like, right. when you get well, into and, it. And, you know, they, they expect that. At least Gordy expects that the that Milo, the um, the dump foreman or whatever, will tell his parents. Yeah, yeah, not Milo's parents, of course, but not Milo's, Gordy's but Gordy's parents. parents. Yeah, and you know, and they had heard all these rumors about this dog, and there were all these things about this this dog, and it was such a a mean dog, and it was so intimidating, and. And it ended up being, you know, just not. <laughs> um, so I think, again, that lends to how kids' perception and the stories that kids tell each other can get really skewed and out of whack. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, and then also, like, how I think it was pretty formative, too, that, like, these are the things that Gordy remembers the most is this mm-hmm. man yelling at him and like traumatizing him in that way. Like the different things of this story, you know, like he'll be like, Oh, like I remember parts of this, like it was kind of looser. And then he'll get to a part like coming up next, you know, they're sitting there. Um, and Teddy, this old man has said some pretty harsh stuff about, or was it Teddy or was it Gordy? Yeah, it's Teddy. Teddy. And he said some pretty harsh stuff about Teddy and his family. And, uh, you know, Teddy's father, we find out, is currently uh, institutionalized for uh, some kind of injury during... Shell shock. Shell shock. Thank you. Shell shock. Because he stormed the beach at Normandy. Yeah. And that was Teddy's uh, whole thing is, you know, don't disrespect my dad because he stormed the beach at Normandy and... You know, yeah, it messed him up, and now he's institutionalized. But don't say anything bad about my dad because he stormed the beach at Normandy. Yeah, which is wild. Like, just a crazy thing to think about. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, they're twelve. It's nineteen sixty, so these kids are yeah, really no, no, among no, no, the no. first boomers. Um, so. Oh yeah, yeah. Like his dad got back from the war and had him, and then went and got institutionalized. Maybe right. had him before he left for the war. You know, it's it's hard to... Who knows? Actually, no, no time. Nope, if no, yeah, time, yeah, definitely time, would have had to Time have actually after. goes in a line, yeah. <laughs> time in, this, in this story, time actually goes in a line. <laughs> time actually. Um, anyways. Not, not in all stories, <laughs> but, but in this, this story. story. <laughs> um, so uh, they uh, end up having a nice moment with Teddy and you know it's like 12 year old nice you know of course you can't tell your friend that you love him and you care about him you just gotta be like hey you, you stop it you little you, you whiner you're okay um, but they're learning and it's nice they have they they care about each other and they have enough like emotional tensile strength to show that right without it being too weird for them they actually you know it's it's actually really kind of sweet the way that they 
take care of Teddy after this guy really gives Verbally him assaults him. Yeah, yeah, really lays into him about his dad and and you know, the reason that Teddy wears hearing aids is because his dad put his ears on the cook stove top. And that's why he's institutionalized. It's because he almost killed his kid. And, you know, so Teddy doesn't necessarily... Go ahead, I'm sorry. He doesn't necessarily have a reason to defend his dad because his dad has been really cruel to him yeah but he does and you know while they don't understand why he feels that way about his dad they don't rag him for feeling bad for feeling that way about his dad they they support him even though they don't understand don't agree it's like when you have you know someone's in a bad relationship and it's you can't do anything about it you can't change the way that they feel or do anything all you can do is be there Mm -hmm. to support them and help them whenever they need it Right. It's just one of those things that you, it's just a hard situation to be in. It is. Um, and it just shows, I, I think that that's there really to show um, the, the time kind of friendship. Period. Well, the kind of friendship that these kids had and the time period. I, I, yeah, definitely. I think that there's something about all four of these kids, why they are not, they are ostracized. Mm-hmm. They are not, they're, they're the outcasts. They're the like group of friends that aren't, there because they all have similar interests. Yeah, they like hanging out. Yeah, they like playing cards. Yeah, they like looking at nudie mags together. But those interests weren't weren't born their friendship. They were their friendship was born from being ostracized. It seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So as they are moving along, they've chewed Teddy up. Uh, they're moving around, walking down the train tracks, and there's suddenly a train coming. Um, they all get out of the way except for Vern. Because Teddy. Vern or Teddy likes to Teddy. play chicken with the the trains. You know, he is an adrenaline junkie. And cars and trucks and so he'll stand on the track or on the tracks or on the road until the last possible moment and then jump out of the way. Um Gordy, you know, being a practical person is like, No, like that's a terrible choice and tackles him and then he uh ends up uh, punching him but they're just getting a big fight and Chris has to break it up but you know you get to see this uh, it really sets the tone for like Gordy is going to be the one to step up in the moments when you need him to mm-hmm. you know if there was a moment which there doesn't end up being any moments where he needs to step up or do anything um, he would be the one to step up and do something but that is uh, and it's an interesting way that like I think that like Everybody it's, needs a friend like Gordy. Yeah, definitely. You know, whenever you're like, I need this thing, he's going to be like, yeah, I got you. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's the, you know, um, after that, it's pretty, it, it's just some travel music. It would be, yeah, a, tra- it's, it's a travel montage. They it's camp a travel and they montage. walk and they well, talk and, and they until camp they get and they to walk the, and they talk. And then they find they a get pond. To the trestle, well, until they get to the trestle bridge when they have to cross the river and they get to the train trestle bridge and they have to walk across the train tracks on the train tracks and another train comes while they're doing that. And that's that's suspenseful to me. Of course, you know, again, I was 13 when I read this the first time. Right. Um, no, and I get you. And it, it, it is written in a really uh, good, suspenseful way, though. Like, I think mm-hmm. that's something that we just have in all of Stephen's writing that I really enjoy. 
He, you know, we've talked about this a ton. He does a really good job of putting you in the time and place and feel. You know, you can feel the sweat and the heat and the the tension and all the things that go along with it. And it puts you there. Right. It, or at least it did for me. And then um, I think, too, it really kind of shows you, like, who the Wink Link is. And mm-hmm. you really figure out that Vern is the uh, the weak weak link, right? And you're like, oh no, Vern, you are going to be the downfall of this group. Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, it, it it starts to feel like uh, you know uh, Kim and I had talked a little bit this morning before we started recording about uh, uh, I just wasn't enjoying the story, and she's like, it's very Tolkienish, you know, it's travel walked walked Tolkien, and I was like, hmm. And, you know, I think, like, uh, this is around the point, though, where you do feel that way. You mm-hmm. know, it's travel, travel to the next event. Travel, travel, next event. Um, right. And, I mean, that's how the first two Lord of the Rings books feel. Yeah. F- like an ungodly amount. I mean, Return of the King does not, but that's the point, I feel. Um, and, uh, you know, this is their first... It is their first brush with fate, almost. It is their yeah. first. It is their first thing outside of their control that is like extraordinarily different from what they would normally encounter. You know, up until now, Milo and Chopper and like the train jumping off the train tracks and playing chicken, like these have been like normal like things that have scared them. But mm-hmm. now they almost got hit by a train on the top of this bridge over this river because it was the only way that they could travel to keep going. So it was. It's a different completely different uh, uh, challenge that they've had to face. Well, and it's also a rite of passage for them because as soon as they're across the bridge, across the trestle, they're in the different township. That's they, They've actually left their home now and they're away when they get to the other side of the river. Yeah, they had to earn that difference. They, they had, had to, to earn, earn that. And mm-hmm. they do a good job of it. I think, too, um, I love um, one thing Steve does a real great job of that I don't think we've ever talked about before is his use of onomatopoeias. Mm-hmm. Um, like, walk, uh, walk. yeah, onomatopoeia mm-hmm. for you, if you're unaware, uh, you know what these words are. You just probably don't remember this uh, big word from high school. Um, An onomatopoeia is the formation of a word from a sound associated with its named. So that sounds stupid, but that's just from the dictionary. What it means, though, is when a word sounds like what it's supposed to represent, like zap or um, knock, knock or womb or buzz or hum, uh, all these different words that have the sound of what they make um oink meow meow is a real good one mm-hmm. meow is then what it is but then it is also the sound that the cat makes so um that is a perfect onomatopoeia i that's that's the one i'm going to use every time i ever talk about one um and uh stephen king has a really good use of onomatopoeia uh and it's really uh timed well too I think it's yeah. something that I really like about it. You I know, agree. He and, when, it. and when you read it, you can hear it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way he, like, he, uh, 
he has fun elongating words when he writes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it, it seems very childish, but really it gets the point across really well because you just have this giant honk. So it gives you the idea like, oh, this is like a 10 second bell. Like, oh yeah, there's a train coming about to hit them. I bet like time is slowed down. I bet everything feels like forever, forever <laughs> long. Um, and uh, yeah. I mean, and, and the way he writes that train horn again, mm-hmm. I can hear it. I grew up across the street from a train switching yard. I can tell you exactly what that sounds like in my head because I heard train horns all the time. <laughs> so, you know, I and I guess that's that probably lends to how why I can feel this so so much because you know, I know what that train sounds like. I know what that horn sounds like. I can I can hear it because it's such a integral part of the soundtrack of my life. Yeah, it's just something that is, and then I think that too. Like you can tell that it's something that's born in Gordy's, it just drilled itself in there. Like it's never leaving. Yeah, yeah, um, and I, and I can imagine that this, you know, all these years later, because Gordy's thirty-two, you know, so twenty years later when he's writing this, that there are probably times when he hears a train horn, and he's instantly transported back to that spot back to those emotions, back to that day. Right. And they all afterwards feel they have an incredible adrenaline rush, to say the least. Uh, right. They are very satisfied. They're sitting there drinking their Cokes, laughing, and uh, Gordy ends up going into, uh, you know, we find out that he's always been telling stories, like Kent, we had talked about earlier and established. Um, and we find out that he's kind of the one, uh, he, he, he'll entertain the group. You know, he's like, all right, tell us a story. So they start telling this story about uh, um, the, the the chubby guy who eats pies. And he mm-hmm. ends up puking him up all over everyone. Um, and it's fun, too, because he tells he starts the story when he's 12. And then it flash forwards to when he was, you know, 20, 30 something. And he wrote that story for a magazine. Right. Um, so, you know, it just, you know, it shows that where those stories came from. And it's fun. So you remember when we kind of talked about the fact that I was reading this, reading this story during the school day when I probably should have been doing other things, but I was reading this story and I got to this section when I was sitting in science class. (laughs) And, and in case, you know, I don't know that I've mentioned this. I don't do any kind of gross. I don't do no vomit, no blood. Nope. I just don't. It's not a thing for me. So I'm trying. So I'm reading this in class under the desk and I'm going (laughs) (laughs) as he's telling this story. So, you know, maybe maybe that's why I have such a soft spot for this story, because it's very memorable to me. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that that's a good thing. Uh, If I so far, my favorite one is the is apt pupil in this apt pupil is really cool. Um, yeah, Same. I don't know. There's just I, I like that, the, one. but yes, there is something about that one. Um, no, and I gross doesn't bother me in stories. I'm still waiting. I hope that soon, like we get, like I want to be scared by one of these books. Yeah, we haven't read a good 
a spooker spooky story yet we'll get to some we'll get to some and i'm just curious too like if you're listening to this what is the scariest Stephen king book in your opinion let us know post it on our facebook we'll post this as a question but i'm curious like what is the spookiest Um, yeah and we we haven't gotten to the beginning which we haven't gotten to those stories that that put him in a horror genre in fact I don't know. I can't say that I've intentionally stayed away from those, but I guess I just want people to, this is my, my drum. I'm going to bang it forever. Stephen King is not just a horror writer. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I no, digress. it's okay. You said, <laughs> I, I, I knew you needed to say it. I knew you needed to get it in there. Um, I'm trying to find something. I'm sorry. No, you're good. Yeah, so... You know, Gordy's story, this kid has been harassed and teased and, you know, because kids are mean. I mean, adults are also mean, but kids are are really mean. I really, I don't think we need to get into the the pie story. I don't see the point in it. No. But it's a a pie story with a revenge twist. (laughs) And I think that, like, it's, it's just so much... It feels it's very extraneous. Well, and and I think that he's remembering that he made up this story and told this story to gross out his friends. Yeah, definitely true there. And yeah. um, and and it's, it's okay. Go ahead and tell the story then. I feel like we might as well. No, no it's uh, it's. I mean, it's really not integral to the rest of the story. But you know. He, he tells this story about a kid who's been bullied to a bunch of kids who've been bullied. And this kid that's been bullied wins. He, fi- he figures out a way to take revenge on all the people that have been mean to him. And it's gross. Um, because he drinks a bunch of castor oil and then eats a whole bunch of blueberry pies and throws them up all over everybody everywhere he's in the middle <laughs> everywhere. of this contest he's winning by two pies he's like 12 years old beating all these adults he's drank this entire bottle of castor oil he's on his sixth pie and then all of a sudden he just feels it and he's like oh yeah it's coming so he looks up and he smiles and then he just throws up everywhere and yeah don't get me wrong it's great I really enjoyed it. It's really funny. Yeah. I j- it's just the kind of thing that I expected to read on a Reddit post at 3 a.m. <laughs> when I couldn't fall asleep. That's all. Well, and I think that really the point of it is that these kids have been bullied by, you know, older siblings and other kids. And this time the kid that was bullied wins. And I yeah. think that it's it's about that. And I think anyway. that that sets the tone too. You know, what happens if the bully, the person who is being bullied, did win? Mm-hmm. What happens? Well, and I mean, it's really not about that. It's very foreshadowing of the end, in all honesty, because is. there is no winner. You know, right. you have right. to sacrifice yourself to get this win, and you sacrifice yourself by by throwing up everywhere. You mm-hmm. know, and at the end, they have to sacrifice. You know, he gets he gets beaten up pretty good, right. uh, and there's some self sacrifice that have to happen for them to have their win. Right. Uh, so they have their story. They sit there and um, they end up uh, 
pretty much just talking about life and stuff. And there's mm-hmm. this really, uh, I think this is the moment where uh, Teddy and Vern kind of go off on their own, and we get this good moment between Chris and Gordy. And this moment between Chris and Gordy is pretty much the the entire point of this story, um, where to me at least, that's how I felt. And I agree. Uh, we'll get into that in just a minute because I feel like we haven't talked about what we're going to be doing coming up and everything. And I feel like that's such a good cliffhanger. (laughs) It (laughs) is. So um, we have been planning a lot of stuff and we've been trying to figure out things. I want to personally apologize. uh, Just it's 100% my fault why everything's been taking so long. Uh, We are. uh, We're going to find the balance. Yeah. And I think, too, it also uh, didn't help that I just have hated this story and it has been a struggle for me to get through. And I will say, like, I did get to uh, um, probably the point with the leeches. And I think you said that this morning. And mm-hmm. we were, I was like, okay, like, I'm, I'm starting to care a little bit more. But uh, that's not any uh, particular thing to think about right now. I do want to tell you all about a couple of things, though. The first one is is we are getting our Patreon back and rolling and up in the game and started uh, going again. Um we are going to be uh, doubling down. I think we have sent everyone out their glasses and everything that should have them now. Um, but we have all of those ready to go. We have glasses and we have stickers and we have everything. So if you are interested in signing up for our Patreon and receiving extra content, uh, head on over there now. We're going to be uh, scheduling and planning to do probably Stand By Me in the next couple of weeks. We're going to finish the stand. Um, and uh, I don't know, whatever else, what other uh, Patreon content do you want to do, Kim? Well, right now, I, I'd really kind of like to finish The Stand, because, you know, <laughs> it's been out for months now, and we still haven't finished it. And, yeah. you know, Kurt's finished it, and he's like, have you finished it yet? I'm like, no. He's like, oh, okay. so we still can't talk about it? So, okay. So we, we've got we to gotta schedule finish some that TV for watching and Kurt time. Thing. Yes, okay, <laughs> we'll schedule, we got to finish The Stand then very soon. Um, and then I thought it'd be fun to, uh, I want to put all of it, uh, together as like one mega podcast that you can just listen to the parts where we don't, it's not just the commentary where it's the things where, um, like the, the little, like five, 10 minutes afterwards where we discussed it. Yep. Right. Right. Um, look out, uh, Kim and I are hoping to do a podcast called first time through bookmark where we talk about the Stephen King news and other things that we have read and different things going on in the literature world. Um, and that should be coming out. We're going to be recording the, the first one of that today. And then we are going to be ending our first season of first time through this month, July, sadly, but surely, um, it looks like, Oh, no, it probably won't be July, will it? It probably, probably be, will be mid, mid-August, mid because we're going to finish up with Eyes, Eyes of, the Dragon. of the Dragon. So yeah. this episode you're listening to came out uh, the 15th of July. You know, two weeks from now, you're going to get Eyes of the Dragon 1, and a couple weeks after that, we're going to get Eyes of the Dragon 2. And then we are going to launch, first time through, New Eyes on Castle Rock Season 2, with new theme songs, new intros, and the same authors and the same hosts. Um, but it will have, I think, uh, it'll just be, a, a honestly, it's just going to be a way for us to, like, ar- archive them in a different mm-hmm. way. It's getting very hard for me to keep track of all of my season one 
in one hard drive with all of my other stuff. So I need to get. I'm gonna get a season one hard drive and a season two hard drive. So we have it like it. It'll, it makes sense. It's more for organization, honestly. <laughs> but also, I think too. Um, I want to just we can add uh, just separate it too. And I think that mm-hmm. too season two. It's not as much my first time through Stephen King books anymore. You know, I'm, I'm, I've got some experience with them now. Season right. two, it's going to be me. Uh, you know, I'll be a, I'll be a, a what is it? You know, uh, you've, a journeyman. You've, right. You've become a constant reader. Now mm-hmm. it's just going to be your I've read perception his most recent of the novel. new. Right. It's going to be your your views of the books as your first time through the book not as a new Stephen King Stephen reader. King reader so I, I you know you've got some insight you know who he is as a writer now and and we've read a lot of different things so I feel like that's going to be great but we're going to open season two with the uh, second part of the gunslinger we're going to read the, the drawing of, of the, the three, three. Go right into the journey for the tower. I am very mm-hmm. excited about that. Uh, I have had to stop myself from reading that a couple of times, so I'm excited to get back into that. And then um, just some other things that we have planned for season two. Definitely it and 1963 or 112263. 112263. Where time um, doesn't go in a straight line. <laughs> yeah. See. Uh, and that is it. Those are the only two that we really have planned so far for season two. I would really like to get the scariest Stephen King book in there. If you guys please tell us what you think the scariest Stephen King book is in. Um, and I know, too, first season we did uh, different seasons. Recently, mm-hmm. we had a poll on Facebook and the Green Mile versus uh, the Four Past, what is it? Midnight. Four Past Midnight and the Green Mile in the series episodics ended up winning mm-hmm. so that is what yeah. we'll be doing through season two is reading the six episodic books of uh the green mile which kim and i both own in first edition paperbacks which is cool yep we sure do and uh <laughs> thanks jake <laughs> yeah yeah thank you so much jake i do have when we get into that too uh we have a copy of uh stephen king's the green mile to give away donated by uh our constant listener jake thank you again jake um who was able to help me hook me up with a bunch of extra books but um i would also like to say thank you uh i got recently uh my girlfriend darwi commissioned a piece from uh soulless art and space which is uh my friend rose and you can find them on Facebook. It's just a hair cross. It's incredible. Just really wanted to talk about it for a second. Yeah. And say thank you. It was. Re- it's really great. And uh, follow us on Facebook at First Time Through Podcast. Um, follow us on Twitter in particular. I've been trying to really get our Twitter out more because I feel like if we're going to get a chance to talk to Steve, it's going to be through Twitter. I agree. You know. Um, so please follow us on Twitter and uh, share us on Twitter. Um, if you have a question for us, please share it on Twitter with the hashtag first time through. Um, and we'll see it for sure. Cause that's all I do with my life is wait for you to talk to me on Twitter. Not just Twitter. I just wait for anyone to talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> Be my friend. Um, and is there anything else that we need to talk about in this quick little sojourn? Mm, I don't think so. I think um, that covered the highlights. By the book, the bridge by Joe Leaguers. Oh yes, available by the book, everywhere. The bridge. 
look that's for gonna it. That's going to be, we're going to Probably do like in between seasons one and two. In between we'll seasons, do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's going to be really good. Such a good story. Such mm-hmm. a good story. It's available on Audible and Amazon. Anywhere you buy books, you'll be able and to find it. And it's a really good audiobook read uh, by uh, his wife, Alex. Just an incredible, uh, incredible production. All right. And that's all we have to talk about. So um, back to this cliffhanger moment. Um, there's, in all honesty, not much of a cliffhanger because really all it is is just a very touching moment between two 12-year-old boys. And this is the moment that, you know, you really realize, like, oh, man, he does have a crush on this kid. But also, you just realize how important they are to each other. Yeah, and I think that you all, it also gives you an insight that these are, that Chris and Gordy are not typical 12-year-olds. Right. Um, they also do something in this section which I found to be particularly disgusting. Um, that I didn't need to bring up. And it's something called a pioneer drumstick. And what a pioneer drumstick is, is taking a piece of stick and a lump of hamburger, putting oh, yeah. the hamburger on the end of the stick, and then just roasting it over the open fire. Now, if you've ever done this, you must have been in a very desperate survival situation. And I commend you, because that sounds absolutely horrid. Oh, that's the real horror of this story, is thinking <laughs> about the pioneer drumstick. Good God, it was that's such a that's gross, gross thing to think about. Um, we do get this moment, too, where Chris kind of talks about when he was in uh, school. Um, real quick, before we go. So they have their pioneer drumsticks. They have dinner. They've been talking about these stories. Um, and we have this really important moment between Chris and Gordy where Chris kind of tells us when he was younger, he got suspended for three days for stealing milk money. And, uh, you know, he swore up and down at the time that he didn't do it. And now he's talking to his friends and he's like, you know, yeah, I did do it. And Gordy's like, man, I mean, what'd you do? Like, this is the first time you've ever said, yeah. And he's like, maybe I took the money back to the teacher and maybe she didn't tell anyone that I, and you know, maybe I was honest and I, uh, told her everything that I did and then maybe I still got suspended and maybe the next day she came in with a really nice new skirt on uh and Gordy's just like what do you like what and so you know he really implies that this the teacher at the time just kept the seven dollars that was in the milk money and uh let this child take the fall for it and damn that that would hurt if you were a kid dude could you imagine Yeah, that's, I mean, it's really terrible, but, you know, that just goes to show, you know, we mentioned that Chris comes from a really bad family, so this teacher thought she could get away with it because everybody would believe that it was him. I don't. I don't, I don't think his family has a bad reputation. Away with it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's because, like, she was like, well, he might as well get punished for stealing it anyways. You know, he's, everybody already thinks that he did, might as well make sure that it goes through with it right. in that way. Um and so we, it's just a very character-defining moment for Chris. It was the moment where I really liked him a lot. And I was just mm-hmm. like, man, this kid, like, you know, he realized he did something wrong. And he has, like, the guts and the metal to stand up and he realize and say, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. And he still gets punished for it. Right. Um, and it's just it's very seeing this kid try so hard in the face of, like, making a mistake and then still being punished and then still trying is it's he's good he's a good and he's a he's a good egg right well and then that's when when gordy's like man you you can break this generational curse 
you know, you, I mean, he doesn't use those words because he's 12 and he doesn't know that that's what it is. But he's like, you, you can get out of this. You are smart enough. You know, you should just go in the college lane classes with me. You should, you know, better yourself because you're better than the rest of your family. And man, that is deep coming from a 12 year old. Right. Um, yeah, it's rough coming from a 12 year old too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, we, uh, we're about to get into the next like big part, but we get to a very special moment where I like to call the dream corner with Stephen King, where Stephen King writes some dreams into his books. And, uh, we're just going to talk about them a little bit. Pretty much every time. <laughs> yeah. Every single one so far. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the dream. Corner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in this book, uh, short story, The Body, on page 386, in my short cop, in my paperback copy from 1983, um, mm-hmm. he, Gordy Chance, our main character, falls asleep and ends up having a dream where he is drafting down the river, rafting down the river, eating chips and devil dogs and popsicles as he's drafting down. Miss Cody, one of his teacher, comes by in a gray two-piece swimming suit and says, Watch your steps, boys. Watch your steps really hit your head hard enough to strike you blind. I can do that. I've been given that power by the school board. Now, Mr. Chambers, mending wall, if you please, by rote. And so he recites a couple of lines of the mending wall. And then all of a sudden, help me, Gordy, help me. Then he was dragged under again. And then all of a sudden, they get pulled down underneath the water. Uh... And he's screaming and choking. Uh, and then uh, he, Teddy looks up and he says, are you alive? And then he says, no, I'm dead. And then uh, that was really it. Yeah. So Gordy has a drowning dream. <laughs> yeah. In short. And, and he's helpless. <laughs> Excuse me. Bless you. Oh, thank you. So uh, Gordy has a drowning dream that is also... Uh, influence it's the 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 process the process of the dream right the progression mm-hmm. you know you're floating down you're having a good time everything's great and then all of a sudden you see this indicator from your past that just kind of like ruins everything and you're like Ugh. um and you know so now we have this moment too where for gordy he's just thinking about like and he mentions it a couple of times when he looks at chris he just can't get this story out of his head now Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he has that little Miss Cody making him think of the mending ball wall, you know, that thing that is stuck in his head now because he learned about it and it's there. And then as he's doing that, you know, all of his friends end up dragging him down. Like Chris had said earlier, your friends drag you down and they drag him down into the water and he has a drowning dream after almost drowning and then foreshadowing what's about to happen. Right. And that's been the dream corner for the body. Welcome to the dreams. Get in. Get the dreams. Uh, Stephen King enjoys the dreams, and uh, I uh, have a feeling, based on later, they're not going anywhere. I don't think so either. Uh, we'll find out in uh, what killed Billy Summers in August. Um. So uh, after the dream, they uh, end up. You know, it ends up being into the next uh, very, very. Uh, big section very important very very exciting very thrilling they start walking again and they walk some more 
<laughs> and they walk. Um, and then at one point while they're camping, they do hear a, uh, a mountain lion. And um, if you've never heard a, a mountain lion scream in the middle of the night, it does kind of sound very, it's got a feminine energy to it. And mm-hmm. uh, it can, it can, if you're not it really paying attention, scary. yeah, especially if you have never heard it before. So these 12 year olds hear that for the first time and they think it's a ghost and they're pretty terrified. Um, but they uh, take watches and they end up falling asleep through the night and everything goes okay. And they're walking around the train tracks and they get to a, um, a big lake that had been made uh, by the government. It looked like, no, or no, no, by beavers. By beavers, beavers. yeah, yeah. It so was a beavers beaver dam, like, made a, a dam, and it ended up making this like big pond. And they were like, "Oh, do you think that's deep enough to swim in?" And they're like, "Only one way to find out." And so they run down, and they all get naked, and they jump in, and they're swimming around for like an hour, just having a good time. And uh, there's one line in there, and I got it right here. And it kind of just, you, you know, as soon as, like, as an adult, you're like, oh, no, that's not good, buddy. You get that off. Uh, but he says, Chris stood up in the water and his shoulders broke the surface. I saw something on one of them, a blackish, grayish something. I decided it was a piece of mud and dismissed it. If I had looked more closely, I could have saved myself a lot of nightmares later on. Um, you know, and it's very foreshadowing. And as adults, you know, if you're really paying attention, you pick up like, oh, that's a leech. Like, these kids are not going to have a good time. So they swim for like an hour, get covered in leeches, um, rush out, start picking these leeches off. And then Gordy Lachance has a one inch long leech off of his hanging off of his uh, testicles. And he goes to pull it off. And to pull it off, he has to like hold on to himself and like squeeze himself which is already swollen because of the trauma it says in the book and pull off the leech at the same time and as he's pulling off this leech it explodes in his hand and it is explained in such vivid detail there is no way that this is not something that happened to Stephen King absolutely <laughs> Stephen King has a crescent shaped scar on his testicles from when a leech bit him when he was swimming in a pond by railroad tracks calling it right now Stephen King when you are ever on our program I will ask you this question um, and it's just such a specific thing and you know they get it all done and they're very uh, I think any of us would be pretty traumatized if we had to pull off you know 40 leeches off of our bodies after just swimming for an hour right um, yeah, gross. So they all check each other and they make sure everything's done and everything's okay and they uh, they keep walking um, and it, it, they're getting tired. You can just tell by kind of like though there's nothing really happens anymore. They're just kind of right. like oh we just want to get this we want to accomplish this goal. So right. as they're going um, around the train tracks, they find out about uh, this place called uh, the Bluffs and they start thinking about how it should have taken they should have been here sooner but they realize that walking by the train tracks it's actually 16 miles whereas if they would have cut through the woods it would have only been 10 miles and that's why it's taken so long and as they are getting uh, around this big bend in the thing though they see this kid on the ground Mm -hmm. and um, 
as you're reading, Stephen King drops a couple of hints about some of the foreshadowing that's going to come up. Uh, we're leaving it out right now, just so that way we can surprise you with it here in a second. Um, but, uh, you know, he doesn't tell you exactly what's about to happen. He, you just know something's about to happen. So they find this kid. And the most interesting thing about this kid is that he doesn't have sh- his shoes are like blown off him. And it's the only thing Gordy can think about is just what happened to these his shoes. Did he get hit by the train so hard that they flew off? Did somebody come and find them? Did he take it off? Did he get hit by the train and then try to take his shoes off? And there's just so many different ways that it could have been and like could have gone down. And as they're sitting there looking at this body, who else shows up but all of their older brothers at the same time? Right. Except for Denny, of course. Well, except for Denny, right. Yeah, Chris. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Chris's brother, Vern's brother, and their oh, hood morbid. rat buddies yeah. all show up because, you know, they're the ones that found the body. They got dibs. They got dibs. They got and, dibs on the dead body. And so that this is where we get the standoff. And this is where... Um, you know, he's sitting there, uh, and uh, there's a standoff, and he says, come and, like, the kids, like, the 12-year-olds are like, you want to get this body? Come fight us. And so, like, these 15, 16-year-olds, three of them come at these kids, and one of them pulls out a knife, of all things, and they're, mm-hmm. like, going to get these kids. So then, um, oh, man, we didn't even mention this at the beginning, but Chris took his dad's gun. You did. I did. I did. Good. Good. You good. did. Oh yeah, yeah. I did. Um, so Chris pulls out the gun that he he took from his dad, and he shoots it off in the air, and all the kids kind of back up, and Chris just bluffs them so well to think that he will shoot any of them, or he will shoot any of them because he's in this life or death situation in his head. He's twelve years old, you know. Like these situations have the highest stakes that they could possibly have, and there's a dead body in front of him. Like there's no higher situation. Right. Well, and Chris has kind of already resigned himself, resigned to himself in his head that, you know, he comes from a bad family with a bad reputation. So what is this, you know? What's the matter? What's one more mark on my record? Right. Right. Um, So as he pulls out this gun, there's this good standoff. And then the storm that is building comes to a head and hail starts to come down and they start getting hit by hail. And then Vern and teddy leave they just dip they just run away and as they're Mm -hmm. running away chris holding the gun being faced down by eight teenagers just whispers at gordy don't leave stand by me stay with me and you know that's the the title of the movie stand by me you know that moment where you ask for help you reach out for that thing like please help me stay by me and he stays Mm -hmm. there and uh eventually the older kids uh that you know they believe that he's going to, they will get shot and they leave and they back off. Chris hangs out and then he watches to make sure that both of the cars are gone and they leave. And uh, Vern and Teddy come back and they're like, whoa, guys, I don't want you to know that like the fight didn't scare me. It was the weather. The hail was spooky. It really got mm-hmm. me. And, you know, I think Chris and Gordy at that point are just like, whatever, it's over. And uh, they come to the realization, which is like really smart, I thought, that. Those older boys now can go back to the police and tell whatever story they want. Right. And just be like, oh, we saw these kids out in the woods with the dead body and blah, 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 blah. So they can't turn in the dead body now like they had wanted to for the credit. 
Right. And the older kids can't do that because they would ask, raise just as many questions. Right. So uh, they end up just calling in as an anonymous tip. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's really interesting is it is very, you're right, This is it's got a, a Tolkien vibe in the end again. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, the journey there is what was important. The mission is accomplished. And then, you know, you, you, you flick your fingers and all of a sudden we're home. We're, right. we're, we're done. And we just kind of like wrap up the story. And so a couple of months goes by. Nobody's gotten in trouble. Nobody's told anything. And then uh, he gets jumped. Gordy does. Gordy gets jumped, yeah. And Chris gets jumped. And they yeah. all get jumped. Um, yeah, because the older the older boys do get their revenge, but you know the and the body got found because they called it in anonymously. Somebody, you know, and it it shows that foreshadowing in the uh, the pie story that we were talking about. You know, you get your win, you do, but you gotta mm-hmm. you, you take your lumps for it, right? Um, and you know, throughout the entire story, Gordy has been very. Uh, reminiscent and sad about these three people that he's been traveling with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and he mentions it a couple of times. He's like, you know, in our mid-30s, like, you know, this would always be true. They would never actually accomplish this thing or they'd never do any of this thing. And it's because you find out that they all died before they were 33. Yeah. Um, One of them, you know... But, uh, but the, win, the win is that Chris does enroll in the college courses with Gordon, with Gordy. And that's what I was like. I think that Chris's story, each one of the four stories at the end, kind of shows you like a, I think a different like path of life that any of them could have taken at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, any of them could have taken the path where they just stayed there in their hometown and just worked a good life and like lived good. Any of them could have taken the path where they stayed in their hometown and kind of turned into a worse hood and ended up being a little bit more of a drunk. Any of them could have taken the opportunity to, like, get out of their town and be successful like Gordy. And then any of them could have taken the opportunity to get out of their town, been trying to be successful, and then fate or literally anything else intervened. Mm-hmm. And it was not something that you had the choice or control about. Right. And that's the most tragic thing, too, about, like, just Chris's story is just there was no control at the end of him getting stabbed. I think that right. the... Uh, I mean, because he was... He was on a path to be able to break away from all of the negative that was his family and his childhood. He was in law school. He was he got stabbed in a Kentucky Fried Chicken or something, and just really, yeah, really tragic, you know. And just just it's a fun little crossover though too, because he says it's uh, somebody that was released from Shawshank Prison. So I thought that was fun. And I think there is somebody in the Shawshank story that talks about they got released for like two weeks and then stabbed somebody in the neck just to get back inside. Um, So it's, yeah. Um, I do think, too, one little thing that I am curious, um, and that's the story. Gordy ends up telling us he's 32 now and he is writing stories for a living and that those are the people that he thinks about. He goes one day to see uh, his back to his hometown and he sees Ace, the guy that jumped him and beat him up and was the leader of that squadron. And he's just kind of working a dead end job, going to the bar every day. And he's like, that's what's become Ace now, huh? 
just kind of giving you that final message of like, don't worry about the people that are going to come down on you and are going to be hard to you because they're not going to matter much at the end of the day. Yep. That at least that's the kind of like story that it I would have gotten from that when I was young, you know. I do think too one little thing I want to point out. There is a uh, and this might just be me, and you might all be like, "Otto, you're wild and you're crazy." I'm pretty sure the ghost light is in this book. Um, so mm-hmm. it says on page four hundred two, Jesus Fern screamed in a high fainting voice. Oh my Jesus Christ! Look at it. I looked in that direction. Fern was pointing. I saw a blue-white fireball bowling its way up the left-hand rail of the tracks, crackling and hissing for all the world like a scalded cat. It hurried past us as we watched it, as we turned to watch it go, dumbfounded, aware for the first time that things could exist. Twenty feet beyond us, it made a sudden pop and just disappeared, leaving a greasy smell of ozone behind us. That doesn't sound like ball lightning. That doesn't sound like regular lightning. That doesn't sound like a train lamp. That is the ghost light just making a brief little appearance in this town by Castle or in uh, Castle Rock. And it makes sense because they're in Castle Rock. That's where the ghost light would be. I mean, it it does make sense, but I think that... And he's near death. That's what killed this kid. Maybe this kid was like a conduit for the ghost light. Maybe, uh, you know, it's very unexplained about how this kid ended up getting out here. But, yeah, you know, I mean, and that's true because they, they assume that he got hit by the train. But and there's just nothing else that that like that passage could be. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I mean, it could just have been that the train track was struck by lightning and that's how it reacted. I don't know. I don't know what the science of that is. So hmm. we so can. You're, so you're they're. Thinking, they're so it, it got hit by be... lightning, and then the lightning traveled down the track. And as it, the the track was inducting that electricity, it created so much heat and force that it created a fireball above that track. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe I can see that, and then it would create that ozone smell and everything. Right. I like that. I do choose to believe instead that it is the ghost light, and that Stephen King has the ghost light in all of his stories to kind of guide his entire universe. I mean, because that's, that's the I, overall I, antagonist of his entire world is the ghost light and the ghost light of course represents mortality and just that eventual like you eventually your ghost light all of our ghost lights will go out and hmm. while your ghost light is still active it needs to be everywhere and it needs to be doing as much as it can i don't hate that theory <laughs> and that's yeah so yeah. uh stand by me um do a little rating for it so uh you know writing and Oh, man. Plot, writing, and it factor. Yes. Um, so, what uh, what do you think in plot-wise? I mean, I think the plot is pretty basic. I think it's, that it's the plot is probably... Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm thinking it's a four. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's a pretty simple plot. Okay, so three and a half for the plot. I agree with that. Sounds good. Um, and then uh, writing... Um, I will say is I like I I enjoy the heck out of some some Steve writing I really do I enjoy the quality of it I enjoy the frame stories that he creates I enjoy his use of you know we specifically took an entire section to talk about his use of onomatopoeia today I'm gonna mm-hmm. give this one an eight this is some solid writing this is a good short story it's got good character development it's got good characters uh, the word choices the syntaxes you know anything that you'd look at and be like wow like writing. I, I think it, it, it hits those dials here for me. Yeah. 
Um, it even has a couple of like really memorable, you know, there's one line in it that I remember right now even, and it's, uh, you know, uh, love bites never heal, uh, you know, the words that are attached to them do. And if those words ever go away, it's because those love bites dried up. And uh, it was, it's just a very beautiful sentiment about how like love leaves a lasting effect on you and that love will always be there as long as you remember it. And the moment that you decide to not remember that love is when it dries up and it goes away. Yeah. I just thought it was. I actually was also going to give the writing an eight because a lot of the same reasons. It's just such a good story. You feel such a connection to specifically Gordy and Chris and. It, it, I think that this is just you know, a story. We talked about when, when we got to the train trestle, you know, you could feel that. You could hear that. You could. And and I think that that is, you know, a lot of his stories. He just really can put you in the, the moment. Right. Um, it factor. This one for me, uh, I got to give it a, probably a seven. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I didn't enjoy it a ton. But you do have to read it. If you if you were getting into the mm-hmm. Stephen King stuff, if you are going through his stuff, if you're going through his bibliography with us, um, and you're kind of going based on our recommendations, you, you got to read this one, um, just because of the cultural impact it's had. I agree uh, with that. You know, the, you want to go see a dead body? Like, how many times have you heard that parodied? I, I know, man, I can think of at least like six different episodes of different cartoons that I've watched that have like uttered some similar sentiment. Right, right. And and I was going to give the it factor an eight. And again, I think that comes back to when I read it the first time, how impactful it was for me, because I was the same age as these kids. And um, so it's always been kind of a touchstone story for me. Um, awesome. Yeah. So that's three and a half plus seven plus or three and a half plus eight plus seven and a half. Mm-hmm. Puts us at 19. 19. Oh, 19 out of 30 overall? That's not terrible. Okay, good yeah. job, the body. Yeah. Um, I don't have my ranking list on me or else I'd tell you where it placed at, but we'll find that out. Yeah. Um, okay, anything else? Uh, I definitely want to watch this movie and compare it soon, so we'll yeah, uh, keep absolutely. an eye out for that. Um, Eyes of the Dragon is going to be coming up soon. And uh, just overall, I think this is my least favorite short story in this book so far. I, I like that, that people and I like Shawshank so much more. They were just they were much more interesting. They were they were um, they really got me in their spell, you know? Like you mm-hmm. when you when you see the, the word spellbinding all the time. And I was just like, man, apt people in particular, dude. That one got me. I really enjoyed apt people a lot. I wish there was a better movie of it. Maybe we should watch the movie just to make fun of it, good old riff track yeah. style. Absolutely. Um well, until then, uh I'm Autumn Mullins. And I'm Kim Payne. And this has been uh, My First Time Through The Body by Stephen King. And we hoped you enjoyed your first time through our podcast. Have a great day. Bye. Otto, Kim, that was incredibly interesting. Great job today. If you would like to support First Time Through, you can follow us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, or send us an email at firsttimethrough.com podcast at gmail.com you can also become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash first time through to get exclusive early access to get exclusive videos and to become our exclusive friends 
if that's interested to you. I'm interested. First Time Through, New Eyes on Castle Rock is produced by Empty Theater Productions. It's created by Kim Payne and Otto Mullins. Editing by Otto Mullins. Music by Jason Rager. Art by Kurt Payne at Who Knew Art.